The following podcast is a production of Mosaic in Whittier, California, a community of faith, hope, and love. For more information about Mosaic gatherings and events, please visit mosaic.org. If you're visiting here today, welcome. You're, you're uh, here the second Sunday of Narrative, uh, sharing your story, telling your story. And part of what we're doing here is we're asking folks who are part of the community to, to share a bit of who they are and where they are and part of their faith journey and their journey and all this. And, uh, you know, uh, I get to do this every Sunday, so I'm kind of used to this. But for some of these folks, I know it's, they haven't been in front of people in a long time, so it's a little weird. And, uh, and other people are in front of folks a lot, but only when they're screaming and yelling out there, belting out their tunes. And uh, so with no further ado, let's bring up Johnny. It's an honor to be interviewed by the Latino Heat. Let's- <laughs> You know, in his neighborhood, they call him the Spanish uh, yeah, hurricane. Okay, he sweeps all the women go. off his feet. Yeah. All right. <laughs> but, well, that was only that was only between us when we that one we were talking. You didn't know your mic was on. Oh yeah. Right. I'm not often speechless. At any rate, because uh... <laughs> see, I thought. I thought Latino heat was only what my wife called me. I didn't know we got out. That's why. I, that's why I know I, you told me not to tell anybody. Yes, but yeah. I, and thanks for following. Sorry. <laughs> now I got to rein it back in. You're good at it. I am. All right. It's like herding cats, but I can do it. <laughs> okay. So uh, this is uh, this is Johnny, everybody. And uh, so we've we've known each other for a bit, right? We've we've chatted. Yeah, we've talked. A year and a half. We've, we've broken bread, as it were. Yeah. We've gone out. We've heard your band. No, we didn't have, I haven't heard your band. No, you haven't. No. You pretend like it. You pretend like you do. You acknowledge us every weekend and everything, but you... Yeah. And you were just playing down the block at the Rendezvous. Yeah. At the Bamboo Club. Yeah. Yeah, still didn't go. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, you did It's like, that was walking distance. It I mean, was walking distance. Well, for you, skipping, because you like to skip. <laughs> That's right. Frolicking. Okay, so... Uh... Wait till I love you, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, hey, so tell us briefly. Uh, well, actually, the, the series is going to be about crisis and just things that people overcame in their lives, obstacles, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Cool. So, briefly, tell us how you found Mosaic Whittier. Uh, it was interesting. Excuse me, my... <clears throat> I've been singing all night. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was interesting because I- I've been on a pretty gnarly spiritual journey since about the age of 21 I actually experienced like a true calling where like God was present and everything Mm -hmm. so I just continued to you know run with that and and, uh, search things out search things out and uh, I read a book uh, by Erwin McManus and at the time of my life, that was probably the lowest time in my life, but mm-hmm. I still had a little hope in God that, mm-hmm. that, that he was going to pull me out of something. And uh, I read a book, and that's actually the book that I found Ruark in. And uh, I was so drawn to that book, and I felt so connected, and I never really read a book thoroughly like that before. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I wanted to find out more, like, where his church was, because I just wasn't feeling it like the other places I was going. Okay. And so I went on the website and everything, and uh, I found that there was a small gathering in uh, Whittier. And I'm used to, like, big churches where you can just kind of, like, you know, walk in late and sit in the back seat, and no one knows who you are, and then you take off. Yeah, because you walk in late and sit in the front row. Yeah. I noticed. Uh, well, you know, <laughs> With I'm, your sunglasses. I'm trying to w- w- go against my own grain, you know. That's right. Well done. Uh, so, uh, so I found the Whittier one, and it was back when it was at the Artisan Building. Right. And it was smaller. It was, like... 
So with, like this section was like how many people were there when I, so I walked in and I was like, oh man, this is too intimate for me. And I remember just immediately talking to myself, I got to go because everyone's going to know who I am. I got to take off. And I remember just kind of like looking back at everyone and backpedaling. I went to turn around and I started bolting for the door. I didn't want anything to do with that. I didn't want to talk to anybody. I'm and like, I haven't spoken yet. No, no, no. Not at all. <laughs> I was just already talking myself out of this stuff. And uh, I had heard about Soul Cravings, uh, the book. And right as I was bolting out the door, I looked to, the, like, to, to my right. And you guys used to sell the books there. And I saw Soul Cravings. And I was like, whoa. So I just kind of made my way over there and checked out the book. And Charisma came up to me. And she just started like, rah, 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 check this out. <laughs> Oddly, that's how she speaks. Yeah. yeah it's, and like, it's, that is so like how she yeah. gets <laughs> And I just, you know, just asked me questions like crazy. And I was, ugh. And before she took me, she was taking me a tour. And I was on top of the roof. And she, me, I was meeting everybody. And I was like, whoa, I, I guess I, so out of respect for her, I was like, well, she really, you know, searched for this. So I'm going to, you know, hang around for this one. And because uh, I just couldn't, I couldn't tell her no. I was a little afraid after that. <clears throat> little too, but yeah, fierce, yeah, yeah, intense. And um, so sat through, and it was interesting. It was very different. It was more like I felt like I can connect to it a little more. And I think the coolest part about it was uh, this is where God was really involved because uh, that day that I sat there, I didn't have any money. And uh, at the end of the service, you stood up and said, if there's anyone here who's uh, their first time, they get a free copy of uh, Soul Cravings. So I thought that was really cool, and I, I uh, decided to continue to come back. Cool. So you've had one uh, ups and downs here and there. Yeah. And uh, I remember once we were out, and I saw you shoot up, yeah. as it were. Yeah, I was addicted to heroin. It was pretty... I'm just joking. Uh, we were joking here about it. But you did... Uh, they were like, oh, oh no. wow. <laughs> uh, they were backing I th- up. I guess I thought, I thought they all knew me a little bit. They would have laughed, but they were probably... Oh. They got a little serious there for a moment. Yeah. But you did shoot up a little bit. So tell us about that. And yeah. How that's colored your life a little yeah, bit. Yeah. At 18, I was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes, insulin dependent. And, uh, and that was... Uh, what, you, what do you want to know about that? Just, uh, hey, just tell us a little bit about hey, what, what did you process when you found out about that, and, and how does it affect you now as a well, man? I really I didn't know much about it at all. I remember my mom trying to like she was real worried and she was trying to uh, tell me everything about it. But my my blood sugar when I was diagnosed was over eight hundred, mm-hmm. and uh, the doctors were like, I can't believe your son's even walking, and uh, I was so out of it when she was. Uh, I went through like three months of just complete blacked out you know I was like starting fights at work I was making my mom cry every night I was just like raging because my my body was malfunctioning and slowly dying Mm. and um, I didn't know much about it and uh, when I got to the hospital and they started you know juicing me up they uh, I started the stuff that they were explaining to me just seemed real boring they were telling me you have to do this this and I have I have an untamed heart man I I, I don't like to be stopped (laughs) at all yeah we didn't know that about you by the way (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so uh, I just started immediately I started thinking well am I going to be boring am I going to just sit in the house all day not mm. be able to do anything am I going to turn pale because I'm not going to get any sun and I can only eat leaves and and, <laughs> and water and uh, so that, that like started really kind of messing with my mind but uh, I, I got to you know 
I had to read, I had to study a 300 page book before I left and take a test every day so they kind of knew, so I knew what, you know, what was right. going on. Mm -hmm. And one of the things actually, this is just kind of a funny side note, but one of the things actually that like helped me like, oh, I think I'll be all right. They gave me a <laughs> list of celebrities who were diabetic. And uh, I was like, I don't know this one, this one. And I came across Halle Berry. And I was like, oh, wow, there's nothing wrong with her. She's doing things. I think I'm going to be all right. <laughs> and uh, so. There's so, nothing wrong with her. Yeah. Well, in my okay. eyes. Good. I see her, other parts of you were still working. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I like challenges. Uh, yep. I like, and I like to fight. So yep. I was like, I'm not going to let this stop me, man. And even at the moment, I've, I can understand now it was God. I just felt it internally saying, dude, this is only going to make you better. Hmm. And, uh, and uh, so I just, I started, I ran with it, man. I, I got to say, though, the first six months was uh, pretty depressing because it was such a life change. And uh, I wanted, I was still in, I was 18 and I had ideas of going, doing this, hmm. but I really couldn't because it was a life or death situation. Hmm. You either do this and you can prevail and be strong and overcome, or you can do this and die. And uh, I still wanted to do certain things with my buddies and uh, they were off doing these things. And I kind of was just like, oh, and it was weird being in that transitional stage. But once I finally, you know, was able to, uh, you know, work it, work it out and get on my feet again, it was, uh, I started to kind of take it, I started to take the wheel instead of it, you know, taking me. Um, your verse, John fifteen seven. can you tell us a little bit about why that verse was important to you? Because you didn't hesitate when I asked you to, you know, have a verse that, that meant something to you, maybe part of this journey or that it's coloring how you view God and how you process life. So why that verse? That verse, because that's like the second part of my stage uh, of my life. Like when I told you, I decided to, you know, commit myself to uh, to Jesus, man, because he was, I was, he was so, well, in my uh, slang, he was so punk, because mm -hmm. he was, you know, there's things, I was trying to be against the grain and rebellious to everything, either in a loud way or a quiet way, and uh, even like, I would, you know, be hanging around punk rockers, and I would just say, you know, you're just like everybody else, you just take, you know, few showers and your hair color is different like there's nothing different than you mm -hmm. but jesus he was so against the grain and so punk to this world that like i, I was like man like people still can't follow his footsteps and i i think that's rad and i want to run with someone like that man and when i was going through a stage in my life where i just wanted to um, i wanted to do that man i just I was tired of being like everybody else and there was things that i wanted to overcome and achieve and uh I was struggling with a personal relationship. I, I mean, this was in the moment when I received that verse, mm -hmm. I was in the darkest moment mm -hmm. of my life. And it wasn't because of diabetes. It was something else mm -hmm. to where like every breath that I took was, was just boring me to tears. Mm -hmm. And I was, wasn't into life. And, um, for some reason I was real disconnected at the time spiritually. And, uh, that's the verse that, that, that always speaks to my heart because my mom, she always told me, uh, you can do anything your heart desires. I was like five years old, and I believed her because she was like my queen, you know? Mm. And uh, so I just continued to dream, 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 and I'm doing anything my heart desires. And then that verse came up, and it still spoke to me the same way. You do whatever you, you know, mm. ask what your heart desires, and mm -hmm. it'll be done for you. Mm -hmm. And I, I believed them for some reason. I believed them. <laughs>
And, uh, well, if you're going to believe somebody. Yeah, man. And, and so in anything that I tried to do in life um, that I want to do, if I'm ever sidetracking, that one always pulls me back and gets me on the right track, man. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's the number one verse that always keeps me in good form. Hey, um, it's, uh, let me give Johnny a round of applause here. I've always noticed how helpful you are and willing, and uh, so I appreciate you coming up here and doing this and many other places, and um, I enjoy your company quite a bit. Uh, hey, we have a, another person who's uh, maybe a different spectrum in life cycle and stuff, so can you guys give a round of applause for Kelly? They call me uh, Kentucky Heat back in Kentucky, so he's Latino Heat, I'm Kentucky Heat. So. Kentucky Heat. <laughs> Uh, I remember once when I first got an email from you, I, I, I wasn't sure, you know, I... I, I Who it, I was. Yeah, because you were a girl name. I mean, it was just a girl name. So yeah. I thought, okay, yeah. I couldn't. And for a second there... I t- Did you get worried? Yes, okay. because there was a lot of... There was a lot of yeah. <laughs> then when I found out it was you, I was very worried. And so... Um, <laughs> so, hey, so we're going to... We've chatted a little bit about what's going to happen, right? What we're going to sure. talk about. So... So just the Reader's Digest version, how did you find Mosaic Whittier? My brother is a church planner. He moved to Arizona six months before I found out I had to move to California for my job. Uh-huh. And uh, he said, well, you ought to check out Mosaic because he'd read a bunch of Irwin's books. Mm-hmm. And this is the first and only church I came to when I came to California. I liked it so well. Mm. Um, there was a young gal at the front named Charisma, and she took me on a tour <laughs> way up on the roof and all kinds of stuff. So. That roof apparently uh, yeah, seals the deal for people. <laughs> what, what goes on up there? Uh, there? Actually, there was a For those of you who didn't go to that old building, there was a roof yeah. thing. Yeah. I never got up the roof. Oh, but, okay. Uh, so. But no, Charisma and Melody and Sonny and everybody had these real bright names on their tags, and they were very friendly, and, and, uh, and then even the preacher was, was great, too, so I liked it. Was it a good speaker? Yeah. Okay. So... Um, <laughs> Okay, so we've talked a little bit about your life and story. You were involved in, with your brother in, in church stuff mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. leadership and forming stuff, but there was, a, there was a time when that wasn't always clicking and working well. So yeah. what happened in, at that time? Well, um, I helped my, my two brothers are both pastors, and I'm a musician, so I always felt like that was kind of the, the black sheep sort of. But uh, I helped them plant four churches in Kentucky over the last 10 years, and and my family had always been really involved in church, and I grew up very, very much involved in church. So, so I come from a background where uh, uh, there were certain expectations and things like that. And, uh, but uh, I, I quit being involved in, uh, in the church when I got divorced mm. and, uh, after 22 years. Mm. Um, and uh, safe to say since the topic is crisis and overcoming them, that's Qualifies as a crisis. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then finding so. out a year later that you have to move for your job away from your fourteen-year-old um, and your sixteen-year-old. So it's uh, it's been a long couple of years. I think there's a couple of stigmas. I, it, no matter what churches I've been to, and uh, it, it happens. So there's a stigma between um, over mental illness and a stigma of divorce. Mm-hmm. That you did you feel that coming from me from the community that that, that you were part of. Mm-hmm. Was well, there a disconnect? I, I think that the churches that, that we helped plant, and, and we were more community-minded, uh, uh, sort of, I don't want to say lenient, but just more understanding, like this church is, about, mm-hmm. about the, the realities of life and so forth. And uh, uh, some of my other churches, it might have been like automatic divorce, you're gone, gambling mm-hmm. will help you. Um, 
But uh, <laughs> yeah, that, that's true. It is true, right? It yeah, you true. could do anything else, but yeah. heaven forbid something happened that and, way, and then you're out. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, from a, and, and I believed a lot of lies during those two years. I'm, um, as we as we spoke, you know, I, I, I told you I could keep it under thirty minutes, but anyway, I, you know, I mean, I really did. I, I believed a lot of lies. I, I finally decided uh, at some point in time in my marriage that even though I could, I, I could. Uh, blame a lot of things on her. I'm sure she could blame a lot of things on me and that kind of thing. Um, I finally believed at some point, even as a seasoned Christian and a person who knows better, I just felt like I was entitled. Hmm. And I felt like my kids would be okay because divorced kids get okay and all that kind of stuff. And so, I, I mean, we, we made our share of mistakes together, but I made, I made huge mistakes myself. Hmm. And, and then, then I, I, lost, I lost every bit of credibility I had for a short period of time. And, and so, I mean, I... It, it wasn't like they had to kick me out of leadership. I mean, I, I kicked myself out and mm. lived in a trailer up on a hill with no running water for a while. And I, I mean, uh, completely the opposite of what anybody would have predicted for my life. Mm. Completely opposite because I was always calm and conservative, straight and narrow. And so it's been a long couple of years. What have you recovered after you've lost? Well, there's a lot still missing, but I, I guess the, the reason I picked the verse I picked out is, is and I, did it pretty quickly when you asked for it yeah, you uh, or text right, was right. You didn't hesitate. Yeah. It was just that, um, I enjoy talking about Christianity and theology and being brought up like I was, you know, we, we kind of have a pretty good working knowledge of, of what the Bible's like and what, what Christ is like. But, um, there is, there's a simplicity in Christ that reaches everybody, mm-hmm. whether you were raised real strict or raised, uh, you know, in, in the church or not. And, uh, and when, you, when you get struck down, either self-inflicted or otherwise, or a combination, mm-hmm. uh, that simplicity of what he's all about and, 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 and the reality of, of the, of the uh, simple part of his message of forgiveness and grace um, that we don't deserve, that he didn't have to extend to us, just, I mean, it comes screaming out. So, um, so I kind of left behind all the uh, clerical, liturgical stuff that I knew mm-hmm. and all the... Uh, all the books and the self-help and all that. And I just got back to the simple part about what Christ did for us. I mean, you know, John three sixteen. there's a reason that's the most quoted verse in the Bible. That's not the one I picked, but, uh, it, it is, it is a pretty simple message. And boy, when you get, when you get thrashed pretty good, like I have the last couple of years, uh, the simplicity of it is really important. You know, I, I, uh, I've said, and we people that believe this and I see it now more and more, um, whenever somebody steps into this community, no matter where they are, uh, they, they change us because they, they're adding something to the mix. Uh, Johnny brought his changes, and, mm-hmm. and certainly you have colored us as well. And mm-hmm. so we appreciate you mm-hmm. and, and are grateful that you're part of our community this time. Thanks. Our uh, next guest is, um, is Janine. So we know each other pretty well. Yes. You know my family? Yes. And you still come here. And uh, so I know, but tell us, some of the folks who don't know, give us the Reader's Digest version how you found Mosaic Whittier. Um, I met Charisma a few years ago. <laughs> <laughs> no, Did you go to the roof? I was on the oh, roof. Okay. Right. No, actually, it was um, like the lowest time in my life. And that's when Octavio came. I didn't know him. I think I had seen him once. 
and I didn't like him. (laughs) (laughs) I I, I really didn't. Yeah, I know. I get it. (laughs) (laughs) Neither did my wife. Yeah. yeah. No, uh, but, you know, I didn't know him, but he still came and met me and was uh, there for me and went to his house, and then we started Whittier. Mosaic, Whittier. Okay, there's... There's some part that you left out. Okay, <laughs> so. he was having church at his house, and so. Uh, well, can we can we go back to that point, and you know, you can let me know when it's getting too close, and that's fine. Okay, no, that's fine. Okay, so okay. Um, your sister called me mm-hmm. and My said you weren't you, know, you were in, 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 not in a good place. No, I was not in a good place. So, at all. where were you physically, and how did you get there? Where was I when we were taking the walk? Where were you when we were taking the walk? Okay, yeah. I was in a. A uh, psychiatric hospital, <laughs> and uh, yeah, so um, you know, like you, I've got some self-inflicting wounds. You know, you've been pretty honest about that. Um, I grew up in church. Um, you know, when I was sixteen, I was super hardcore Christian. You know, and then when I was sixteen. Like so many people, I just felt like I was kind of backstabbed from people in church and started a, my life of drugs and drinking and all that. And um, people always ask if, uh, if, uh, if I was, uh, if it was friends, you know, that were, was asking me, hmm. but it was me kind of influencing them. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, yeah, some pretty hardcore drugs. So, how many how many times were you at the, at the facility? Um, I was in the hospital three times. Um, the first one, I uh, attempted suicide. Um, the second time, I checked myself in because I felt it coming on again. And the third time was kind of like the first, and that's when I met Octavio. No, I met you the first time I was there. Yeah, actually. And, yeah. <laughs> I'm remembering the clove story. <laughs> <laughs> Can I tell the clove story? It's stupid, but yeah, go ahead. Okay, so I was bored, and I wanted cigarettes, but I wanted clove cigarettes. And uh, I told my sister to ask Octavio, hey, can you tell him to bring me some cloves? He went from store to store and bought me, like, what are these spices? It, cloves? I, I, I thought cloves. I thought... <laughs> Maybe she wants her room to smell well, and, or she's making, she's putting something in ham. I didn't know what she was doing in there. Yeah, and then my mom's at the table, and I'm going, no, maybe clothes? I don't know, maybe clothes? <laughs> clothes? I don't know. What are that? And she came back and said, some people at work told me what clothes are. What are you doing? And I hadn't Quit smoked. that again. Yeah, I hadn't smoked in years, so I, I forgot what they were. Yeah. So I finally went to a little Mexican market and found Clovis. So yeah. as they were. Surprise, surprise. Uh. <laughs> so what was the, uh, what was it, how, how did you turn the corner? What, what happened? I mean, uh, you were not in a good place um, at all. And, and it, when oh I no. think back of who you were then and who you are now, what, was it a per- series yeah. of change or was it one thing? Um, well, at the time of the, the first incident, the first time I uh, attempted the suicide, mm-hmm. I wasn't doing drugs. I had stopped doing that uh, maybe 
Oh, gosh. A few years before, you know, I was on and off of meth, and I didn't really like pot. It made me too paranoid, and, you know. You too? Um, yeah. <laughs> and drinking, a lot of drinking. So there was the first time there was a lot of drinking involved. And so, um, honestly, even though, even though it was the first time I was there, I think the change started mm. after I met you, mm. to be honest with you, not to mm. puff you up or anything, mm. but uh, mm-hmm. yeah, because it was like, who is this guy? He's a pastor and he doesn't know me and he's taking this walk around this tiny little patch of grass, you know, talking to me and trying to find out who I was and what brought me to that point and what changes I need to make, but... Um, yeah, the three times I was there was pretty much, I think, between three and four months. And so that last time is, um, it was like three days after we moved into the artisan building. And uh, after that, it was my, six months later, I went to Cambodia to check it out, felt God calling me back. Six months later, moved there for nine months. And like ever since then, I just felt like, Oh my gosh, God. During this whole time of like drugs and everything, I never lost faith in God. I always knew He was there. I always trusted Him. I always, you know, but once that turned around, once my life turned around, it's like, it's crazy. It's great. (laughs) Mosaic, I, you know, I've never felt so accepted by. A whole group of people like I am here. I trust people here. Hmm. You know, it's not churchy like people say. Um, I remember when you uh, were sharing your idea to go to Cambodia, and um, I, I think it, it, I don't know if everybody was was dialed in with you at the moment. Right. Okay. That's Maybe took me seriously at that oh, time. At the time, right? And yeah. so it was not long after you left that you know the yeah. facility where you're at. Um, uh-huh. But then you actually set your mind to it. Yeah. It taught yourself the language, you raised the funds, and you lived there for nine months among orphans. Yeah. That was pretty amazing. Yeah, it was yeah. awesome. If I could be anywhere, I would be there. I love it, it yeah. but, yeah. you know, God wants me here. Yeah, and I'm glad for this time that yeah. he wants you here. You need me. Yeah, I do, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're all the reminders, it's helpful. Yeah, I know. <laughs> hey, uh, can you guys give a round of applause to Ms. Janine? Hey, are you guys enjoying this, getting to know people that you see all the time? You think, you know, haven't you noticed that you just assume everybody else has got a stellar, no, no problems, everything went well for them. It's only you, you and you alone that have these challenges. Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Hey, let me, let me just stop here at this one word. Because some of us are so, um, uh, you know, we have such church background. And it's not bad. It's just, once you hear that word sin, it, it only means one thing. Something that you do. And, and darkness and sin and unhealthiness and things that are broken are things that also happen to you. Where, um, you know, maybe we're just tweaked in a way. We cannot, you know, move past a certain way. It's not a matter of, of a lack of desire. It's a lack of inability. And when Christ redeems and restores our lives, he restores the things that we have done. And I think uh, 
Janine or John said the self-inflicted stuff that we do. Things that happen to us, things that are self-inflicted. Let's throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. And for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He scorned its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. One of the other uh, core values that we have here at Mosaic is uh, water or community. And um, last week we we briefly mentioned mission, uh, that mission is why the church exists. And and here I want to speak briefly that love is the context for mission. I mean, you, you can get to a place, and some of you perhaps have been in churches where you know, you're supposed to be these spokespersons, evangelists, witness for Jesus, and there's this pressure to do that. Like you're, you know, you're going to get, I don't know, I used to think of at least pelts for God, you know, these notches on your Bible, you know, got another one, you know. And, uh, and it, it's just a weird way to live, isn't it? Where something the most beautiful, lovely, kind, soft thing and transformative thing that happens to you becomes, you become just one step above an Amway salesman. If there's anybody who sells Amway, sorry. <laughs> A little, but uh, you know, and, and you know, because somehow that justifies your experience of, and uh, and yet when people care for each other just genuinely, have you noticed you have no problem in sharing the things that are meaningful to you when they're meaningful to you? You know, you might find a a great deal on something. I remember once Christy and I shared an itchy skin challenge, and oh, here's a remedy for that. You know, no problem sharing stuff that's meaningful to you or that you love. But once you put a weird condition and a quota on how you're supposed to talk about God, I think we just screw it up completely, and we ruin it. I I think there are two groups of people in the world. Um, There's one group that thinks there's two groups of people in the world, and there's another group that doesn't. Um, Thanks for catching that, because that was a lot funnier, I thought, than it came out. I'm of the former group. I think you can break up folks in, 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 in groups, and one, two of them. One of them, I think, is a, is a kind of group that assumes that, that you just are what you are, that there is just no change. And it's not even a matter of whether or not you have had things happen to you that are unfortunate or things that have happened that are well. You, your, your, your character, your temperament is fixed. And so you just have to either limp along or enjoy the benefits of who you are, period. Now, for that, for that reason, people who are in that kind of a mindset generally are not going to take much risks um, and try anything new because, well, what's the point? You are what you are. You can't really learn anything new. What's the point of talking to people? What's the point of restoring relationships? They are what they are. And, and if you're talented, this makes it worse because if you're talented or gifted and someone says, oh, man, you know, hey, you're talented and gifted, uh, that uh, then you don't want to lose that. So you don't want to do, you'll do nothing that puts you in a position of losing the label or title of talented or gifted. Now there are other folks who have a bit more of a flexible mindset of how they view humanity and how they view how people change and live, that, that we're much more pliable, that we're much more um, dynamic, that there are places that we can go to. I mean, let's face it, you've heard some of the stories here this morning. Some, we can get to places that are dark and unhealthy, and we live there. I mean, we have no, I mean, we may be surprised we got there, but we can live there. Uh, then we can get to places that are extremely healthy and bright and hopeful and, and energizing and strong. And to the point we're even surprised that we're there because we can remember where we came from. 
And so I, I find that um, following Jesus and, and practicing, his, practicing his teachings, imitating his lifestyle, it, 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 it will make you a person that believes in change, that believes in possibilities. It makes you a person that expects and experiences hope. That you're not locked into a story, that, that your past is not your future, that your, that your past is not your biography, that your past, or, or no matter, even, even if you didn't have a past, that, that who you are does not determine your future. As we've said before here, um, you know, there's not a single person that doesn't have a story or skeletons in their closet, right? I mean, if we all came up here to the mic, we, we'd... Uh, you know, some of us might be, oh, I didn't know that guy did that. You know, that, that kind of thing. And uh, we're all in this together. There's not a one of us that doesn't have something that is the thing that we wince at. And like, gosh, did I really do that? Was I really that person at that time? Yeah, you were. You know, I was there. And uh, I saw it. And this is why I think this Hebrews passage, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, has is, is been important and transformative in, in where I've walked. And, and maybe if you've kind of heard the subtext of what was being said here, the kind of the soul conversation that was being said here, is that each one had a moment where they understood and saw Christ differently. It wasn't that they were not believers in God. It was just I didn't see him for who he was. There's just something lovely and kind and beautiful about who he is. And a few months ago, I mentioned a, a phrase I want to bring back here in the conversation, that, that we do absolutely need to have a clear view of Christ to pull you through the pain of transformation. Um, for example, what's the point of, of going through a painful, transformative process if you think there's nothing at the other end? You follow? Now, I, I, I do want to be clear about something. I'm convinced of this, and, you know, look... I, I recognize that all of us have things we want to go through. I, I just don't know how you change and become healthier, no matter what area it might be, about some effort and sometimes, and many times, some pain. Okay, so if you're thinking that you can move forward in your life and your walk, whoever you are, whatever area of your life, uh, without some effort, intentional effort, or maybe even possibly some pain, you're fooling yourself. Now, that's, that's okay. It's just, you know, be honest, I don't want to go through the pain of it. And that's probably a little bit more honest, healthier place to be than to say, oh, I can go through this without any kind of pain. Um, and and the, the funny thing is, we know this for every area of our life. You know, if, there, if there's anything you want to become better at, whether it's losing weight or moving a career, going to school, finishing your degree, or you know, managing your finances, there's some effort, there's some intention, there's some thought there. And in many cases, uh, becoming healed from things that are, um, that are damaging, embarrassing, and unhealthy even requires you to experience the pain of it all over again. But the difference is with Christ to move past it. And that's the story of humanity, uh, you know, that, that, that Christ didn't come to make a bunch of Christians. He came to help us find our humanity again, uh, to restore our lives to ourselves. So if, 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 if church is only for people who are healthy and sane, let's be honest, I mean, I, I'm not in it. You know, I mean, how many of us would, would there be one or two of us here Charisma, apparently, and uh, <laughs> looking for someone to take up to a roof. And um, <laughs> but if if it's only for people that are sane and normal, come on, I'm out. I mean, you know, I'm looking for a place where you don't have to be normal to fit in. 
In fact, we prefer you to be a little abnormal. Um, I've experienced this, and, and I hope that you will as well. And I think you probably heard some of the subcontext of this as well. This is what I know about love, that love covers, and love is kind, and love shields, and love protects, and love encourages. And, and being loved by people who have experienced God's love will make you strong. Uh, you're not going to experience any kind of reaction or judgment. And, and, but loving each other makes you courageous because you risk being hurt. You risk being opening yourself up and somebody, you know, hurting you. But I, I, I don't know what the choice is. is it, so the other option is just to not be loved and not love and be alone? I, I, that's an unattractive option to me. And so I think loving and being loved is the examples that Christ gave us. So I want to close with this one last verse. John 13, 34, 35 says this. A new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Why? I mean, that's what, you know, I'm, I'm still sometimes in that kid parent mode. So someone says you have to do something. You go, well, why? So he tells us why. Because by this, everyone will know that you're my students, disciples, if you love one another. I, I hope um, that this is something that you take seriously because it matters for everybody. It matters to restore humanity. It matters to this community. It matters in the community that you live. That allowing yourself to be loved feels, for some of us, actually, we've been so dark before that we prefer abuse. We prefer, we prefer isolation to community. That's, that's how weird we've gotten at times. And we've all been there. You know, I don't want to be known, don't want people to talk to me, don't want people to know my story. Um, and you might even think, well, uh, you know, that's my Myers, I'm an I. Okay, I get it. But, 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 but isolation was never how you were meant to live. And, and if there's one benefit of, of a healthy community is that you're, 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 you're encouraged to be who you are, not a bad copy of somebody else. Right? You're loved into that person that you're supposed to be. Hey, let me close in prayer with you. Father, uh, you know, how do we thank a God who's been so kind and gracious to us? Um, I, I think you'd want us to thank you and show our gratitude by, uh, by following what you say, even when it's hard. And as I read the scriptures, I notice that you don't give a timeline. You don't, uh, you don't tell us, hey, when you finally warm up to that person or when you're feeling better, you just tell us to love one another. Start now, just to do it. But in that is where we find our healing and where we find ourselves and our souls. We find the life that we were trying to find by letting go and following your life. So but I pray for folks who have been listening and, and hearing and, and maybe be, they've heard some of their own story and what was shared this morning, that they would be reminded of how much you're so incredibly for them, um, that you're not angry, and that you love them and wish to love them into the person that they were meant to be. And so for that, we thank you for being good to all of us and allowing us to be part of your great story of restoring and rescuing humanity. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you for listening to this production by Mosaic Whittier, a community of faith, hope, and love. For more information about Mosaic gatherings and events, please visit mosaic.org.